Our sermon passage is from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Thank you, Dylan. Let me pray for us as we begin this morning. Father, who is like you? As we gather here to worship our triune God this morning, we marvel at the splendor of your beauty and your holiness. We praise your sovereign work in this world and in our lives because we know and we declare that you are good. Even when life is hard and even when the floodwaters rise, we trust that you remain in control and that our hope is found not in our circumstances, not in our resources, not in anything of ourselves, but in you. And because that is true, we pray for those who were affected by the floods last night. We pray that you would care for them, that you would restore that which was lost, and that even in this, we would see you. As we prepare for our missions emphasis month next month and our missions fair, we ask that you would give our church and our people the same heart for missions that you have. Give us a burden to take the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. And we ask that you would raise up many laborers from our congregation who will go into the fields that you tell us are ripe for harvest. Help us to see the needs of those around us, to be mindful of every opportunity that you give us to have a gospel conversation, to show someone your love, which we pray would be evident in every part of our lives. Give us a boldness that is grounded in the truth that we are not responsible to save people, that only your Holy Spirit can bring dead hearts to life, and that your son Jesus came into the world to save his people from their sins. We ask in hope, in confident expectation that you will do this. We dare not exalt ourselves, but we rejoice at the privilege of joining you in your work. May we never despise it or take it for granted and forgive us when we do. We pray also for Redeemer and the future leadership of our church. As Pastor Jamie shared last week, we are asking you to raise up additional elders to shepherd and lead our congregation. We are immeasurably grateful for the tremendous leadership with which you have blessed this church including our current elders, our staff, and our many volunteers. Thank you for the blessing that they are. Help them to lead and serve with all wisdom and discernment and use them for your glory. Give our church a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of unity in and obedience to you as we seek your will for the men that you will raise up to fill these roles. We pray that every member of our church would exemplify that character which you call an elder. And we pray especially for the men that you are preparing to serve in that way. Prepare them. Prepare their families. Keep them from the evil one who would seek their harm. 
And finally, Father, I pray for the preaching of your word this morning. I tremble at the task before me, and I wonder who is sufficient for these things. I am not, but I am certain that you are. So I ask that by your spirit, you would speak through me clearly, powerfully, and compellingly, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts and minds to know you. I pray for anyone here today that does not know you, that you would save them. I pray for those that do, that your word would find fertile soil in their hearts, bear much fruit. May it search our hearts to the very depths and root out and destroy any sin that is found there. Father, for all the ways in which we fall short of you, we ask for your forgiveness. Help us now. It is in the name of your Son and by the power of your Spirit that we pray. Amen. God is dead. He remains dead. And we have killed him. Those are the words of German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche in 1882 in a book that he wrote. Is he right? No, thank you. Both services got the question correct. Good job. Now, here this morning, there are probably not many of you who would say that quite so boldly, but it may be that you look around at life. You look around at this world And if you don't ask, is God dead, you may say, God, where are you? Because the world seems all wrong. Maybe you don't have to look far. Maybe it's right there at home. But you say, what are you doing, Lord? Where are you? Well, as it happens, that particular book that Nietzsche wrote contained more poetry than any other book he ever wrote. And that's appropriate because this morning, I want to counter his assertion with one of greater boldness and with another poem, a powerful poem that Dylan read for us. It's Psalm 67. And we're going to look at it at great length. But to get straight to the heart of what the psalm says, it is this, God is very much alive. And we ought to pray to him to work in our lives so that others might know him and praise him. So before we get into that this morning, I want to step back and look at the Psalms, because if you've been at Redeemer for any time at all, you have sat under some wonderful preaching from the Psalms. By my count, there's been 26 of them. Um, But if you're new to Redeemer, or if you're new to the Bible especially, maybe you come to this and you say, "What, what is this giant book of poetry doing right here in the middle of everything? I love how Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a great British preacher in the mid-1900s, I love how he describes the Psalms. He says this, the simplest description of the Psalms is that they were the inspired prayer and praise book of Israel. They are revelations of truth, not abstractly, but in terms of human experience. The truth is wrought into the emotions, desires, and sufferings of the people of God by the circumstances through which they pass. And I think he's exactly right. The Psalms are wonderful. They encompass the whole range of the human experience, but they do it by framing it against a backdrop of the character and nature of God, of who he is, of what he has promised 
to do. And I would encourage you this morning, if, if reading the Psalms is not a part of your regular Bible reading, you should do that. Because there's so much here. There's hope to be found here. Or maybe you don't read the Bible at all on a regular basis. This would be a great place to start. Many of them are very short, but you're going to see the Lord in these words. So this morning, we're going to look specifically at Psalm 67. It's a powerful prayer And if you're asking, what's the main point of this psalm? What can I take away from this above everything else? I think the study notes of one Bible gets it just right. It says, it is a prayer that God will bless his people so that the rest of the world may come to know the one true God. That is a great prayer. And I would encourage you today as we spend time here to make this psalm your prayer. And the cool thing is, with so many of the psalms, we get the blessing of seeing how they are fulfilled in Jesus. Many of them are, they're hopeful. They're forward-looking to who he is going to be. And we get to see that happen. Now, I mentioned earlier that the book of Psalms is God's songbook. And it was used by Israel for their corporate worship. They would gather together and sing these. And this one today, they actually took what had been an individual blessing from the book of Numbers, and they turned it into a corporate prayer for them to pray and sing together And so I want to highlight three main aspects of this prayer that we can join them in praying this morning. And those are going to serve as the three main points of today's passage. So to give you a roadmap of where we're going, point number one will be this, that we should ask God for his blessing so that he may be known among the nations. Number two, we should praise God for his justice and sovereignty among the nations. And lastly, We should thank God for his blessing that he may be feared among the nations. So that's where we're going this morning. Point one, we should ask God for his blessing so that he may be known among the nations. Look back at verse one with me. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Now, we might be tempted to quickly breeze past such a phrase because Honestly, it sounds a little bit like one of those generically churchy phrases that we just hear and we stop thinking about what it means. But don't do that because I think it is worthwhile to pause and begin with thinking about the idea that we can ask God for anything. Where where do we come up with such presumption, God, that we could ask you for things? Think about in your own life. Have you ever had a chance to ask someone really important for something? Maybe you work for a large company and you're called before the big boss and you get a chance to ask. Or maybe, maybe you see the president, you get to ask him something. Do you get a little nervous? Would you prepare for that meeting? I suspect you would. And I wonder, do we begin to even remotely approach God with such reverence? Where do we get this idea? I think we have good grounds to ask God for things because it was Jesus himself who told us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. He goes on, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? And then Jesus' brother James goes on to tell us, you do not have because you do not ask. So God does invite us to ask him for things. But we want to make sure we're asking him for the right things because James goes right on to say, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So I think the natural next question for us should be, okay, God, you have invited us to ask. What ought we to ask for? 
Well, I think the psalmist gives us a good list of three things that we could ask for. What does he say? Look again at verse 1. Be gracious to us. Now, we tend to be fairly comfortable with the idea that we are saved by grace. If you've been a redeemer at all, you, you know that is true, that you are saved today by the grace of God. But do you ever pause and think about the fact that your very life, that every moment of existence for you is also a gracious act of God? If you have a free hand this morning, I invite you to take and find your pulse for just a minute, wherever you need to go. If you don't have one, I'm very sad to inform you, you've died. Uh, we have trained medical staff standing by to help you, but get your pulse. You feel it? Think about this. Every single beat, thump, 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 is an act of God's grace. Every breath that you draw, every second that you remain alive is an act of God's grace. You see, we don't just need an act of saving grace, though we desperately need that. We need his grace in every moment of our lives. Every hour we need him, as Dan led us to sing. Every moment is a demonstration of God's grace to us. And that is one of the great realities of the book of Psalms. You see, perhaps more than any other book, it is meant to shape and reshape our hearts, to reorient us around a posture of recognizing our desperate, continual need for God. Yes, Lord, be gracious to us indeed. What's the second thing the psalmist tells us to ask for? It says to bless us. Now, when you hear that this morning, you may have one of two reactions to hearing that phrase. The first, maybe it's one of, of apathy. That is the ultimate church cliche, right? Oh, God, bless us. So what does that even mean? Or maybe, maybe you even kind of recoil from it because you associate that with the prosperity preachers. You know those guys, right? The ones that tell you that, hey, if you have just enough faith, which coincidentally is shown by sending me lots of money, if you have just enough faith, then God will give you lots of stuff. That The phrase has been so misused. But I think both postures are a wrong way to approach God because it's, it's right here. We are invited to ask God to bless us. So let's consider why then. Why ought we ask God to bless us? First, I think it demonstrates humility in recognizing that God is the source of all of our blessings. A few months ago, we were having dinner at home and we were praying for the meal and one of our kids asked us, why do we pray before we eat like this? And we told them that it was to remember that God is the one who does this because you know, in, in our modern, extraordinarily prosperous country, I don't think many of us wake up each day wondering, will there be food on the grocery store shelves. Now, that's not to minimize, you may have individually difficult circumstances. That happens. But it's a recent development in human history that you wake up and there is an endless supply of food available for you to go and receive. And so in that setting, it's easy to forget that even this is God's provision for us. And so we reminded them that we pray for this because God, you have given us this blessing. So I think it is good to ask God to bless us, to remind us, that he is the only reason we receive any blessing. Secondly, as we're going to see in a moment, and we're going to look at more, we ask for his blessing, not for our sake, but for the sake of others. Blessings should be other-focused, outwardly focused in our lives, but we will come back to that. So with the psalmist, we ask God to be gracious to us. We ask him to bless us. And then finally, what does he say? Make his face to shine upon us. Now that's Odd. Let's be honest. That's not a phrase you use in everyday guys. That probably was not in this year's Valentine's card that you asked your wife to make her face to shine upon you. Maybe it will be next year. 
Um, but but what's, what's he saying there? What's, what's the point of that? Because it's a request we see a lot in several Psalms. And this is one of those neat moments where we get to see the ultimate answer to this in Christ. Because do you remember what 2 Corinthians 4, 6 tells us? It says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is how God has made his face to shine upon us. You see, the ultimate and highest answer to this plea of God's people is Jesus. So we ask him, be gracious to us. We ask him to bless us. We ask him to make his face to shine upon us. That was a lot in one verse. At this rate, we'll be done by supper. Um, But I'm going to pick it up a little bit from here. So now that we have made sure we are asking God for these right things, we also want to make sure that we ask for the right reasons. So why why do they ask him for these things? Look at verse 2. It says, That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So they ask him to do this, that your way may be known on earth. And they do that because they know their Bible. You see, they remember all the way back to God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Do you remember what God promised Abraham there? He said this. This is God speaking to Abraham. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So they have a reason for making this request, and that is why I would encourage you to pray with your Bible open, because it gives your prayers great confidence, great power to remember that you're asking God to do the things that he has promised to do. You see, that the power of your prayer is not in how long it is, It's not in how many big words you toss out or how many small words you toss out. It has nothing to do with your words. It has everything to do with the God who has said, I will answer these prayers. I will do these things. So it is good to know why we are asking what we are asking for, and we see it in his word. Now, that would be a glorious truth in its own right, but it gets better because even greater fulfillment is found in Jesus. Because what do they go on to say? We want to make your way known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Now, again, if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to Christianity, you might say, well, what is this saving power that they're talking about? What what does that mean? Great question. Romans 1.16 tells us this. I am not ashamed of what? The gospel. For it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then the Gentile. So this saving power that we're asking God to bless us to make known to the nations, it's the gospel. That's it. We see the answer to this saving power. It is the gospel. Now, this morning, if you don't know what that means, I want you to listen in really closely. But if you do, and many of you in here could, could repeat this, without even blinking an eye, but don't check out now because we can never, ever say this and remember this enough. What is the gospel? What is this saving power? It is this. It is that there is a holy God. And that word holy just means perfect, set apart. There is a holy God who has existed forever as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who created the entire universe and everything in it, including humanity. 
He gave us commands and said, this is how you ought to live. We broke those. We disobeyed him, and that's called sin. And because God is holy, because he is perfect, he cannot be in the presence of sin. And the punishment for it is an eternity in a place called hell where we would know nothing but the wrath of God forever. But the good news is because of his mercy, because of his love for us, he sent his son Jesus to live on earth as a man, the perfect life that we should have lived. He was crucified on a Roman cross, but because he was perfect, he could not die. And on the third day after his crucifixion, he rose again. He appeared to many, and then he ascended to heaven where he sits today beside the Father, praying on our behalf. But it gets better because he says, if you will repent of your sin, which means to turn away not only from the bad things you've done, but from the good things you do, trying to earn God's favor, trying to make yourself good enough to be saved, you turn away from all that because you can't be that good. And if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what does he promise you? You will be saved. That is the saving power that we want to make known among the nations. That is the gospel that he gives us to go and tell. And what is the response in verse three? Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Now, how in the world will the people know that this is what they ought to do? Because we have to tell them. That's why we have Admissions Emphasis Month. That's why we gather to know who God is. It is to equip you as God's people to go and tell the people of Jesus. And for you, it may be the, that the world that needs to be told is right there at home. It may be that the world that needs to be told is in your neighborhood or on your street or at your workplace. Or yes, maybe you are called to go to the farthest reaches of the earth, wherever you are. Ask God to bless you that the world may know who he is. Point number two, what else ought we to pray this morning and every day? We should praise God for his justice and sovereignty among the nations. Look at verse four, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. So why, why should the nations be glad? Why should they and we sing for joy? Well, he gives us two reasons. One in verse four, for you judge the peoples with equity. Now, why would that cause us to sing for joy? Because maybe you read that and you think, that's a weird thing to sing for joy about, that we would be judged. Well, a lot of that, I think, has to do with the fact that we live in a time and a place where the rule of law still functions pretty well. Not perfectly, but for the most part. By contrast, think of our brothers and sisters in Venezuela this morning who watch their leadership burn trucks filled with food and with aid. Or our brothers and sisters in closed, oppressed countries who lay their lives on the line to gather as we have do you think they will sing for joy when God judges the nations with equity? I think they will. That is a great joy because the opposite of it is lawlessness. It's chaos. And we can sing for joy because, you know, we talk in here a lot about how we have to ground ourselves in the character and nature of God. And we see that again here because if we know that this is true, if we know that one day he is going to judge things rightly, then we know that he will make it right. And we can see again 
how the Psalms speak to the entire human condition because we know what it is like to cry out against injustice. We know what it is like for our heart to cry out for the orphan, to rage against the evils of abuse in all of its form, against racial injustice, against everything that is wrong with this world, against that broken relationship that you cannot seem to heal, against that wayward child that you just want to come home. Or, you know, just against those little petty unfairnesses of everyday life. God, will you ever fix this? Yes, he will. And we can sing for joy because of it. We can also sing for joy because he guides the nations upon the earth. Did you know that he does that? I love how it says it in Acts chapter 17. It says, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. What a comfort. What a hope to know that everything from the grandest sweep of history down to the life of a single sparrow is in God's hand. That's worth singing for joy about this morning. So we ask God, bless us that your work may be known among the nations. We praise God for his justice, for his sovereignty among the nations. And thirdly, we thank God for his blessing that he may be feared among the nations. Look again at verse six. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. So we see them now expressing the confidence that God will do so. Once again, the psalm shapes our hearts with hope. Why do we hope? Why can we thank God for this? Because he's told us that in Jesus, you have the ultimate blessing. It says that he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. So, excuse me, when God promises to bless the nations of the earth through Abraham, that is fulfilled in Jesus. When God promises to judge the nations rightly, that is fulfilled in Jesus. When we ask God to bless us, the answer to that is yes in Jesus. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Do you get the enormity of that this morning? He has given you everything. And then look, what does it say? Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Now, it feels like the whole psalm has just been building in joy and fervor and excitement. Bless us. Yes, Lord. Bam. Fear him. Now, why would it come back to that? Because Proverbs 9.10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So all of this, we ask him to do it and we fear him that we might know him because you see a God that is big enough to do these things is a God to be feared. It reminds me of, of maybe my favorite quote from C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia um, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, maybe you've seen or read that. If you haven't, uh, you need to know that there are talking beavers because this is a quote between Susan and Mr. Beaver. So just roll with that for a moment. They're talking about Aslan, who is the figure for Jesus in these stories. And so Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. 
never said anything about safe. Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He is good. He is king. So yes, let us ask God to bless us that his saving power may be known. Let us praise God for his justice and his sovereignty. Let us thank God that he has said yes to these prayers in Jesus. And as we close this morning, maybe maybe you think this sounds good. Those are pretty words. But you'd say, "It's, it's too remote. It's too far away, Austin. You don't know how bad life is. You don't know how much it hurts. You clearly are not looking around. You're right. I don't know your life. And maybe, rather than praising him this morning, you're, you're tempted to despair and like Nietzsche to, to ask or wonder in your heart, is God dead? God, are you, are you really there? How can you make your way known among the nations when I can't even see you? Let me encourage you with this. A few months ago, I was folding towels in our main room and had YouTube playing on the TV, just playing through some songs, and it just rolled over to the next one automatically. And this men's quartet singing Amazing Grace came on, which you know, nothing out of the ordinary there. But I happened to look up, and, and I stopped. Like it, it, it caught my breath for a second when I realized where they were singing this, because it was in the Roman Colosseum. Now that caught my eye, because you know what? I thought 2,000 years ago, What was happening in that place? Do you remember? Caesars, who were the most powerful men on earth, ruling over the Roman Empire, which was the most powerful empire the world had ever seen up to that point, would watch Christians be slaughtered for the amusement of the people. Now, for our brothers and sisters then, how hard do you think it was for them to see God saving power among the nations. How hard would it have been for them to pray and sing, Lord, bless us, that the world may know you. Then I thought, look at this. 2,000 years later, and on the very same ground where the blood of the believers was shed, stand four four men singing amazing grace. And I thought, my God, Caesar is dead and gone. Rome has fallen. Nietzsche has faced judgment. But Jesus, the one that Rome said was dead, the one that Nietzsche said was dead, oh, he is alive, my friends. Christ has come, and Christ is coming again. And because we know that is true, we pray this this morning. Pray with me. Father, bless us, not for our own sake, but so that the world might know you. Father, we thank you for your justice, because it is right. We thank you for your sovereignty among the nations, that we are in your hands we thank you that you have said yes to these blessings in your son. Help us to fear you and to praise you. And it is in the eternally victorious name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.